All right. We are in the book of Isaiah. If you want to make a whole bunch of people mad on a church communications bulletin board, announce on the first Sunday after New Year's Eve that there's 99 days till Easter. <laughs> Somebody did that in a group that I'm in. And it, I didn't even look at it. It had like 729 comments and all these angry faces and sad faces and everybody's, oh! <laughs> but it's good. It's a good thing. Um, it's really fun. We're going to do, we're going to be in Isaiah here for weeks. And um, I got on the little date calculator, the date calculator website, which is really cool and helpful for different things. And so there's 99 days till Easter, but there's um, 68 business days, 68, not weekdays, because they don't count like Martin Luther King days in there and President's Day and something, but um, there's 68 weekdays, business days from now until Easter, and there's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. So if you're thinking, what am I going to do now until Easter? Well, you could read a chapter a day from the book of Isaiah, and you got two days to sleep in. you got two mulligan days in there somewhere. So um, we're not necessarily going to go at that pace, but we will a little bit. All right. So there's three. I'm, today I'm just going to do an overview of the whole book of Isaiah, sort of. Give you a little sampler platter. Um, a little bit, we're going to do the buffet right, where you don't go and you fill the plate up really big. You just take a little bit of all the things that you like, and then you go back and get seconds of what you really liked out of the combo. Okay, that's what we're doing. So Isaiah, um, he was this guy. He lived in the, in the mid-700s B.C., so 750 years before Jesus, right, way back. And if you're thinking on your Bible history and your Bible timeline stuff, 750 is before the Babylonian captivity. About 1,000 B.C. was King David. Um, about 1,000 years before that was Moses and, and the Exodus and all that. So just to frame where, where this is happening, where Isaiah is alive, 750 B.C., he was probably some kind of aristocracy. He may probably not in the royal family, probably not royalty, because there are all different kings that he serves. So he serves different kings, but he is never um, in a position to be a ruler. So he's not he's not in the line of David. But whatever line he's in, whatever family business he's in, um, he's kind of like one of these people that like. You know, every once in a while, a speaker will come to town and they'll be like, they served under these four presidents. And you're like, four different presidents of different political parties and everything. Well, they were just, they were just a high-ranking government official that wasn't based on their political party. Does that make sense? Colin Powell. Colin Powell came and he spoke and he served. And uh, I've heard Condoleezza Rice speak before. And of course, she served under George Bush, but she worked under the Clinton administration too. I mean... That's how Isaiah is. He's just this high-level guy. 
that served a bunch of different kings, whether they were good kings or bad kings. There was always kings of Israel. His prophecy, his, his scroll, is 24 feet long and 15 inches tall. What? Okay, so that was how they would collect the writings of the prophets. And Isaiah's scroll, the book of Isaiah, 66 books, or 66 chapters, it's this big old thing, and, um, and it would be when, the, when a synagogue would have a scroll of it, that scroll would be 24 feet to roll out, if you could imagine that in Hebrew writing. There's about three sections of the book of Isaiah. Um, chapters 1 through 39 are all written when Assyria is about to destroy Israel. So 1 through 39, there, there's all this political stuff. There's war about ready to happen. Different countries around them are being killed and dragged off. All of Israel has been split into two, into Israel and Judah. So they, they kind of had a, a civil war and a falling out, and a, not really a civil war, but a, a split. And so the 12 tribes are divided into 10 and 2, basically. But the 10 all got, all got pillaged and destroyed by other nations. That's where the Samaritans came from. So in Jesus' day, there's the Samaritans, and nobody likes the Samaritans, and every time you say the word Samaritan... You spit because you said a dirty word and you want to clean your mouth out. That was how Samaritan was. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. Well, they hated the Samaritans because they were the other side, right? They were the other side of Jerusalem or of Israel and Judah. And they all got carried off by other nations. And then what those nations would do is bring in all their foreigners to absolutely destroy the culture. And just make everybody forget their past and forget their history um, and just change everything. So that's what the Samaritans were. That's all Isaiah 1 through 39. Isaiah 40 through 55. This, like, if you, were, if, you were, if you were a kid, if you were a Jewish kid in 750 BC and Isaiah said, I'm going to write a book. And the first chapters 1 through 39 are going to be about this war that's about ready to happen. Then chapters 40 through 55 are going to be after all y'all are carried off to Babylon in exile. What? We're going to be what? (laughs) That's what chapters 40 through 55 are all prophecies about being carried off to Babylon and being in exile and how everything in Israel is going to be destroyed and y'all are going to live over in this foreign country. And, if, and for real, Babylon was just as godless and evil to Israel as, um, as Babylon is today. I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, here we are fighting with Iran. And that's where Babylon is in, in Persia. So um, just a total evil land. But then... Isaiah 56, so 40 to 55 is you're going to get hauled off to Babylon and it's going to be terrible. Isaiah 56 through 66 are all about what it's going to be like when everything's made right again. 
So here's the scenario. Oh my gosh, we're all going to die. It's going to be terrible. Here's how we stop the war. But you're not going to stop it. So you're all going to get hauled off into exile. And it's going to be miserable. And here's how miserable it's going to be. But when it's over, here's how great God is going to make everything when everything's made right. That's the book of Isaiah in 50 words or less. The amazing thing about all of this is if you read like Exodus and Numbers, how many times God's people turn against God, they grumble against Him, they rebel. Um, Moses is going to get the Ten Commandments and all the people are down at the bottom of the mountain worshiping a, a golden statue. And Aaron, son or brother of Moses, who went through all the ten plagues and was like Moses' spokesman, points to this golden statue and says, Here, O Israel, is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And they all bow down to it. How many times? In, I don't know how many times. Maybe seven times. I'm making it up. A number of times in Numbers... God says to Moses, scoot over a little bit, give me a clean shot so I can wipe out all of these people and start over with just you, Moses. And Moses says, please don't do it, God. You will look so bad. Egypt will not respect you. I know they deserve it. Please don't do it. Isaiah is another instance of all of that. But it's 750 B.C., so they've had like 1,300 years of learning how to rebel against God and to turn against God. And the people of Israel are so far from God in the time of Isaiah. But God doesn't say, Isaiah, scoot over a little bit. I'm going to wipe out all these people and I'm going to start over with you. He says, Isaiah, here's what I want you to tell him. Will you please tell him this? Will you tell him this? Will you tell him about this thing? And God is just entreating and, and persuading and calling and, uh, and pleading because this stuff is going to happen. Now, all this stuff is going to happen because God shows mercy. God shows mercy to Assyria who isn't following him at all. And God knows, okay, I'm going to let them be free and they're going to do a whole bunch of stuff and rebel against me and all that. But in the midst of that, there will be a few people that will seek me out. I'm going to let this whole crowd, this whole crowd of, of um, the Medians and the Persians and the Babylonians, they are going to sin and they're going to do a whole bunch of horrible stuff. I'm not going to blow them off the face of the earth, even though they deserve it. I'm going to let them be. Because in the midst of some of them, some of them are going to turn towards me and seek me out and find me. And so as God lets Assyria be Assyria, and he lets Babylon be Babylon, and he lets the Medes and the Persians be the Medes and the Persians, they all get really wicked. But he's not wiping them off the face of the earth yet, because there's a little bit in there. Some of them are coming. All of that makes the world a rough place, right? He's doing that today. Why is there this terrible thing happening? Well, God didn't make that happen. But man, he knows if he shows mercy and he doesn't just 
bring judgment every time we deserve judgment, in the midst of that, some of us are going to turn towards Him. It says in Romans, His kindness leads us to repentance. That's why He is being kind. Because He knows out of the midst of all of it, there are going to be some people that, that come towards Him and repent. But He never wanted the church, He never wanted His people to be discouraged. He never wanted His people to lose hope inside of that. And so that's why he's saying all this stuff to Isaiah. That's why he says all this stuff to us. Even at the Last Supper, here we are. We had communion, right? In John 16, Jesus does the same thing. And Jesus, he grew up as a Jewish kid. He had read Isaiah. He had read through all the prophets. He had listened to all the the rabbis discuss all these scriptures at the synagogue all the time. When he was a, a little kid, And his family went to the temple, right? You remember? And they left. And they just thought he was with somebody in the family. And they did the whole home alone. Jesus, where is he? They go back. He's been there for three days. Listening to all the old guys talk. Which sounds fun to me. And they're all talking about the scripture. And he says, didn't you know I should be in my father's house? Well, he was learning all about this stuff. Learning about the prophets. Learning about the history. And um, he knew he would have learned from all of them. He would have seen from all of them that the prophets. I'm not going to say this every week, but I know I've said it a lot of weeks. The prophets would talk about their current time that they were in. They were talking about something that would have to do with the Messiah. And they would talk about something that would have to do with the kingdom of heaven, the forever kingdom. And he knew that whenever you heard the prophets talk that to look for those three things. So John 16, John 16, verse 25, Jesus is at the Last Supper. He says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Isn't it funny? This is the Last Supper. Did anybody tell Jesus, you're not going to be able to talk to us much longer? But he says, pretty soon I'm going to talk to you plainly. When, Jesus? Like, it's getting late. This is it. Well, because he's going to come back from the dead. He's going to talk more. It's not over. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I don't say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. The Father himself loves you because you've loved me and believed that I came from God. He's saying, you guys have been, you've been asking me everything, and I tell you what the Father says. Once I'm dead, and I come back, and I send my Holy Spirit, you can ask the Father directly. He knows you. He knows you by name, and He loves you. I came from the, this is John 16, 28. I came from the Father, I've come into the world, now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. His disciples said, now you're speaking plainly, and you're not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things. You don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus says, do you now believe in me? Listen, you guys, the hour is coming. Indeed, it's come. You'll be scattered. Everybody to his own home and you'll leave me all alone. But I'm not alone because the Father's with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So look at how Jesus, he gives the truth. 
gives this true statement. Then he gives them a little bit of a warning. And then he gives them a little bit of an encouragement. Oh, guys, here's the truth. We get it. Well, you think you get it, but this bad thing is about ready to happen to you and it's going to be terrible. But it's not that terrible because of this. I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You guys, it's not going to be a cakewalk. But just know that you can trust me. Trust me. Stay close to me. Continue to seek me. When Jesus spoke in these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. He's, Jesus is like, they get it. They know. They believe it. Glorify your son so that your son can glorify you. Since you've given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given me. This is eternal life that they know you, God, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ who you sent. Jesus gets so excited with this stuff's going to be terrible, but I have won. Don't lose heart. Continue to seek after me. Continue to be close to me. He's doing the same kind of thing that Isaiah did. And we're going to see this over and over in Isaiah. We're also going to jump around a whole bunch. So get your bookmarks ready. Get your phone fingers flipping. Um, because Isaiah is a prophet. And he is talking about what happened. And it's written in Isaiah. But then you got to hold your finger in Isaiah and flip over to 2 Kings or 1 Chronicles to figure out the other side of the story of what's happening at the same time. So I'll give you, I said we're going to do a combo platter today. Here's an example of this. So flip over to Isaiah 7. So Isaiah 7. um, So you know how I said Isaiah is broken up into three parts? Okay, forget that. (laughs) Because Isaiah intersperses all sorts of things in the midst of it. And some people say, well, there was more than one writer of Isaiah, and that's why it changes so much. Um, Some people say none of Isaiah was written by Isaiah, but it was all compiled after he died, and that's why it skips around so much. I, I don't know that we can even answer those questions. I don't know that we have enough archaeological evidence because different people argue different things and then they kind of go off a little bit. But, um, but we do know Isaiah isn't completely in chronological order. Okay? So remember when we studied the Gospel of Mark and it was just like a really excited kid that just came back from Christmas break and Mark was action, action, action all over and how John, John was the same way. He was like, oh, here's the part I remember. Wasn't chronological at all. It's kind of how Isaiah is. So, Isaiah chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. All right, so if you just heard a whole bunch of word salad of a whole bunch of names, you can get a note card and you can write down people's names. And you can keep track of who these characters are because it will help you. Not all of these characters are important. Not all those names that I just rattled off are important. 
The thing to know is Ahaz. Ahaz is a king. He is a king, and um, there's this war. The king of he, he is the king of Judah. Rezin is the king of Syria. There's Syria, there's Ramalia, there's Israel, and there's Judah. Because remember, Israel and Judah split into two different countries. They're all about ready to fight. This is a four-way, a four-way war, one against three. When the house of David was told, so this is going to be Ahaz, is the house of David, Syria is with Ephraim. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. He was just like, what? Because Ephraim is one of the tribes of Israel. So now one of the tribes of Israel is coming to fight against you. It's like, one of your, it's like your cousins are talking bad stuff about you on Facebook. What? Come on, Ephraim. The Lord said to Isaiah, so there's this panic. They're afraid of the war. God tells Isaiah, go meet Ahaz. You and your son Shear Jashub, go meet him at the end of the conduit, the upper pool on the highway. Go meet him and say, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Don't let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Don't be afraid of the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramalia. So basically, Isaiah, God tells Isaiah, go tell the king, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. These guys that are about ready to fight with you, they are uh, burnt up wood that you would throw the last bit of water on and throw in the trash. They're nothing. No big deal at all. Listen, this, son, this is uh, Isaiah 7, 5. Syria with Ephraim and Ramalia, they're planning evil. They're going to do evil against you. They say, let's go up against Judah and terrify it. Let's conquer it. Let's set up our own king. But here's what God says. It's not going to happen. It will not come to pass. The head of Syria is Damascus. The head of Damascus is Rezin. God knows who all is in charge of who. God knows all the structures of who's controlling all these armies. And he says within 65 years, they won't even be a nation. All these people that are coming after you, don't be afraid. 65 years from now, they're going to be laid to waste. Ephraim's going to be shattered. They won't even be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. All of them. Nothing. Okay, so think about the last time you were scared. And then I want you to imagine there's a knock at the door. And this dude comes, it's vaguely familiar, you know, he's like so-and-so's cousin, his roommate, and you kind of know this guy. And he says, hey, this thing you're worried about, don't worry about it at all. 65 years, it'd be totally no big deal. It's cool. See you later. How would you respond to that? <laughs> that wouldn't be encouraging at all, would it? You're like, gosh, thanks. In 2080, 2080, 2085... Everything will be fine. Gosh. Well, it's not that discouraging. Um, remember that these, these people, Israel and Judah, 
have been a people for 1,300 years. So just put that into scale. Um, I pulled a book off of our shelf, and it's a history of Evansville, and I flip it open, and it's a celebration of the 200th anniversary of the city of Evansville. And the people don't even look like they have weird haircuts. Like, it's not that old. It's not that long ago. So then I'm thinking, Evansville, the city is 200, over 200 years old. These people, their cities were 1,300 years old. Wow. That's how long. And um, the majority of these people never went more than three miles from their home except to Jerusalem. You hardly ever went out of the boundaries of your neighborhood. Uh, Your neighborhood was basically your city. But very occasionally, sometime in your life, you would travel to Jerusalem, and then you would travel back, and you'd see what was along the road that way. But otherwise, that's how preserved this is. The other thing is, notice that it said, he said to the house of David, he's not talking to King Ahaz. Like, you're the king, and you rule over Israel. He's talking to the house of David like, you are King Ahaz, descendant, right? Descendant from all those names. Son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. You are the current steward of the throne in Israel that has been established by King David 300 years ago and will continue. So you, all of a sudden, you kind of get this, whoa, like a, a responsibility. We, um, so our house is, was built in 1906. So we have this really old house, right? And every once in a while, I'm fixing something, and I'll rip something out, or I'll change something, and I'll be like, what is that? And I find the gas lines that ran in the walls for the lights, the gas lights, and You know, I'll see the electrical run around those gas lines. And I'm like, why in the world did somebody run electrical around these gas lines? And how am I going to do it? How am I going to fix it? Well, when I fix my house, I don't think of it as my house. I think of it as I'm the guy that lives here right now, but I really want this house to last another hundred years. Somebody's going to have to redo this sometime. How can I do it so that it'll be good for them? Right? I'm a, I'm a steward of my house. I'm not, you know, ruling and reigning like a tyrant over my house. I mean, it's my house. I'm not weird about it, but still. Um, so when he says 65 years, he's saying, Ahaz, you're in charge of a kingdom. You're, in ch- you're not just worried about your reign as king. You are, you are carrying on a kingdom that's going to last a really long time. Don't make a decision right now that's going to wreck how this whole kingdom turns out. And he finishes it, Isaiah 7, 9. He says, if you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Now, when Isaiah is talking to Ahaz, he is not talking about faith like Oprah Winfrey talks about faith. It's not this vague thing. He's saying, trust Yahweh God. If you don't have faith in Yahweh, if you don't have faith in the one Lord, you will not have faith at all. You won't be firm at all. 
sometimes um, my wife and I'll, you know, we'll talk about we'll talk about different people that I'm judging, and um, I'll say, why would somebody do that? That's crazy. And a lot of times I say, you know, if you're not following God, you're going to get ripped off, and you're going to do. There's no limit to what other things you can do. Um, the devil, the devil just wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus came that we would have life. So there's this one right answer that's Jesus, and there's this infinite multitude of wrong answers that aren't Jesus. And the devil doesn't care which one of those he gets people to follow. It usually makes them look like a fool. It usually makes a mockery of God, but he doesn't care. And so if you're not firm, you know, with this, this focus on Jesus, there's no, there's no limit to the horrible things that you might do. So if you're not firm in your faith, you won't be firm at all. You, you'll, you'll fall for anything. All right, so what really happens? So you keep one finger on Isaiah 7, and you jump over. You, if you have a study Bible, you might look in the column, and you might look in the cross-references, and it might say 2 Kings 16, because you guys got to know what happened. So he says, Ahaz, all these armies are coming. He says, Ahaz, trust in God. Stand firm in your faith. 65 years from now, this will be no big deal. Don't worry about it. All right, 2 Kings chapter 16. And it gives us a year, and it gives us a whole bunch of names. 2 Kings 16. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Right? Some familiar names in there. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. Wow. And he reigned... For 16 years in Jerusalem. Ooh. So if he reigned for 16 years, you kind of already know what's going to happen. Right? He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, like his father David has done. Again, he's not the son of David, but when he says father, like his father David, it's like he is part of this lineage of kings what they're talking about. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So Ahaz, we don't know if Ahaz did this before Isaiah 7 or after Isaiah 7, but at some point Ahaz had uh, sacrificed one of his own children to a foreign god. So remember like seven seconds ago when I said, if you're not following God, you're going to follow any other horrible thing and it's going to be a mockery of God and a mockery of you. That's what Ahaz was doing. That's how bad he was. It's kind of impressive to me. I'm, maybe we'll find out later in Isaiah, but I don't know. But I'm thinking, okay, if Ahaz was so evil and wicked that he killed his own son as a burnt offering... Um, did you notice that when Isaiah went to talk to Ahaz, he took his son with him? God told Isaiah to bring his kid along when he went to Ahaz to tell him this stuff. And Isaiah did it. He wasn't afraid. Pretty wild. Like, 
There's little details in there. Hold on to those because this, this all really happened and it makes the story that much richer, right? So he's evil. Second uh, Kings 16.4, he sacrificed, made offerings on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Where is the Jewish king supposed to make sacrifices? In the temple. And he's supposed to offer them to the priests and the priests do it, not him. Instead, he's doing sacrifices on high places, under trees, all over the place. Rezin, king of Syria, Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem. So 2 Kings 16.5 is the same event that's described in Isaiah 7.1. This war happens. But you get more details. They besieged Ahaz, but they could not conquer him. Yes, Isaiah was right. He said, don't worry about those guys. 65 years, they're going to be nothing. They come and attack. They couldn't conquer him. Rezin, the king of Syria, got Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. The Edomites came from Elath. There was other, other countries warring, right? They lost Boonville. They lost Poseyville. But they were okay. That's basically what that description is like. So Ahaz... So these other cities are falling. Remember, Assyria came and they couldn't beat Jerusalem. They couldn't take it. Ahaz sends messengers to the king of Assyria. What? So Ahaz won. Ahaz survived. God took care of him. And Ahaz sends a message to the king of Assyria. And do you think he sent a message to the king of Assyria saying, no, 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 you didn't beat me. Try again, punk. We've got the God of Israel. No. He writes him and he says, I am your servant and your son. What? Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel. They're attacking me. Come rescue me. I am your son. I am your servant. That's what Ahaz called himself to Assyria. Ahaz also took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house, and he sent them as a present to the king of Assyria. Oh my gosh. So he goes into God's storehouse of gold and ships it to Assyria as a gift. So the guy's killed one of his kids. He's stolen all the, God, all the gold from God's temple and sent it to Assyria. Surely he can't get any worse, right? The king of Assyria listened to him. Of course he did. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus, took it, carried its people off captive to Cure, and he killed Rezin. So the king of Assyria comes to the rescue and kills all these other armies. The king Ahaz goes to Damascus to meet the king of Assyria, and he sees the altar that's at Damascus. He sees the altar, the Assyrian pagan altar. And he says, ooh, I got to get me one of those. What? No. King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern exact in all details. And Uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with all that King Ahaz had sent from him from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before the king Ahaz came home. 
So King Ahaz goes, he sees this pagan altar. He says, oh, I love it. I'm going to make one just like it. He sends back to the priests, to the Levites that have already given up all the gold to give as a gift to Assyria. They make an altar just exactly like it. So when King Ahaz comes home, he sees it. Oh, I love it. Then what does he do? He draws near to the altar and he went up to it. He burned burnt offerings on it and grain offerings. He poured his drink offering. He threw the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. So he is doing all of the Levitical law Jewish sacrifices on a pagan altar. On an altar to a different God that's not the God of Israel. He's doing all the right motions on this, just this, in a horrible name, horrible thing. Then, so remember in the tabernacle and in the temple, they had like a wash basin and they had a table and they had all this other furniture around to prepare to do the sacrifices the right way. From the bronze altar, he removed, he took the other altar away and he puts it on the side. God's, God's altar, he puts off to the corner. He keeps his altar there. He tells the Uriah the priest, on the great altar, burn all morning offerings. All burnt offerings every day, burn on this new and improved altar. The king's offer, the grain offering, the burnt offering of all the people, everything. All the blood of the burnt offerings, everything. Do it all. And, um, but this other altar is the one I'll use too. So we're just going to use them both. And we're just going to have all kinds of altars going in God's house. And, and, uh, and it's just a real mess. But then he cut up, this is 2 Kings 16, 17. He cut the frames off the stands, removed the basin out of there. He took down the Holy Sea, which was this big pool of water for ceremonial washings. He got it out of there. Uh, he took the bronze oxen out and he put it on a stone pedestal instead of the oxen that God told him to make it. The covered way for the Sabbath. So there was a special door that they would go in on the Sabbath day. They took it out and removed it so that when they would go um, into the house of the Lord, they would go in the wrong door. So he has completely turned everything on its end and messed it all up. What's really scary is he's turned it all on its end and messed it all up specifically and religiously. It's not like in um, Nehemiah and with Ezra where they rebuilt the temple and they didn't know and they had to retrain the Levites. How do we do this? How do we do sacrifices? Ahaz was like, I want to be like Assyria. Let's get this out of here. Let's bring in this one. Let's use both. Let's mix this up. We always come in this door on the Sabbath. We don't want to, we don't want to make Assyria think that we're too much following Yahweh. So let's cancel the Sabbath and we'll come in on a different door and we'll do it their way. Totally horrible. I'm not going to tell you what happens. <laughs> Isaiah, will, Isaiah will tell us what happens later. This is the kind of thing that Isaiah is dealing with. This is the kind of world that Isaiah lives in, where he knows what the truth is, and he knows what to do, and he's telling it to people, and they are doing way wrong. And I want us to pay attention. If, if you look over Isaiah, if you read through Isaiah, if you read some notes in Isaiah, Isaiah is not Joshua. He does not kill people. He doesn't fight them with the sword. He just tells them what God says. And I think it's, it's just the most humble, 
argument. And I think it's so great that Isaiah, the greatest, the greatest prophet of all the books of the prophets, um, would just plainly say, here's what God says. Ahaz, you did all this stuff. Um, your, your descendants are all going to be cannibals because they're going to be starving to death. That's how horrible it's going to be. Ahaz, if you do these bad things, you're going to be dragged to Babylon with fish hooks. And it's going to be miserable. But God will restore the throne of David. Because you messed it up doesn't stop God from doing what he's going to accomplish. And he promised these things to Abraham. And he promised these things to David. And you're just a speed bump in this whole process. You don't have to be, but you're going to be, it looks like, because you built this other altar. So as we go through Isaiah, watch for these things. Watch for this um, and watch how Isaiah handles it and watch how God handles it. You know, Isaiah, brave, takes his kid along with him to talk to this evil king that he knows is probably not going to listen. Still, God said, bring your son along while you do it. And he does. And, um, and then, you know, Isaiah isn't bitter towards Ahaz because he's so focused on God. He's so focused on what God feels about Ahaz. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that even though we are just like Ahaz, you still keep talking to us. You still keep directing us and helping us. You're there when we fall, and you're there to restore us to your, to your friendship with you and guidance with you. And I pray, Lord, that this week that you would work it in us, that you would help us to listen closely to you, to know exactly what you want us to do, what you want us to tell other people, what you want us to say, and that you would give us such confidence that, um, that we can be like Isaiah and that we could feel the way you feel about things and not, not, um, not see that people aren't listening to us, but that people aren't listening to you. Or to rejoice that people aren't listening to us, but they are listening to you. That you're the one that they heed and you're the one that they follow. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.